This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to DesignCast. Jason Reagan will guide you through the MYP design course like a pro. Stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome back to DesignCast, episode number five. Today we're going to be talking about Criterion D, so we'll be completing the cycle, so to speak. Um, it's been a long journey, much longer than I expected it to be, but hey, at least we're finishing up. And so I'm really excited. Hopefully by breaking these criterion down into separate episodes, it's easier for people to organize the things that they need, the things that they want to go back and listen to. And I hope that this information has been very helpful to people along the way. So today we'll be talking about Criterion D. I'm really excited to have had three different design teachers, NYP design teachers who have um, volunteered their expertise and their time to share their knowledge today on this episode. So today we do have three special guests that have contributed to talking about Criterion D. Kim Hogg, who is a teacher at Chadwick International School in Incheon, South Korea, who we had on the last episode. She'll be sharing her expertise on Criterion D. Mr. Chris Graham, who is the K-12 technology coordinator and MYP design head at Santiago College in Santiago, Chile. He'll be sharing about his work with Criterion D and testing methods, and it's extremely good. And then finally, Sean Connor, who is a design instructor and technology integration specialist at Le Jardin Academy in Hawaii. So we've got um, lots of different places and backgrounds represented today. And so I'm really excited that you're going to be on this journey with me. So let's just get right into it, Criterion D evaluating. So let me remind everyone what that means. Um, there are four strands as usual, and it's where students are evaluating the solution to um, the problem that they've identified and then hopefully designed, tested, solved, whatever. So strand one is design detailed and relevant testing methods which generate data. Um, to measure the success of the solution. And many times people forget that there's an S on methods. And so they usually do one test. Uh, and that um, for, for a year five student uh, is not enough. Mm, strand two is critically evaluate the success of the solution against the design specification. So that means making sure that your B1 is clear so that you can then assess against that. Strand three, explain how the solution could have been improved. And then strand four is explain the impact of the solution on the target audience or the client. And so we will listen to what some of the um, people who've contributed to this episode have said. And I'm really excited to share this with you guys. And let me know what you think. Okay, to start off, we're going to talk about D1. And so I've got all three people sharing what their thoughts are on D1. We'll start with Chris, and then we'll add Kim, and then we'll hear what Sean has to say about D1. Hi, Jason. So 
let's see if I can make any kind of valuable or useful contribution. So I'm going to focus on um, D1, which is in the evaluating criteria strand, and it is the first one, which is design testing methods. So the student, to get top marks, we look at the assessment criteria, is the described, detailed, and relevant testing methods. So methods with an S, more than one, which could collect accurate data to measure the success of the solution. So to help the students structure their answer for this, what we do is we, we give them a bit of help, we give them some scaffolding, we give them a, a sheet with different design testing methods and they can choose from. So there's five different methods they can choose. The first is user observation, where you give your product to somebody to use and you watch them use it and you take notes. Second one is called user trial, um, where you give the, the user, the client, your solution, and then you ask them to answer questions, for example, in a survey, a Google form. That's quite a typical one. Uh, expert appraisal is the third option, where you as the designer give your product to an expert in the field and then interview them to get their opinions. For example, uh, some of the kids made a video in the form of um, the, the healthy videos, sorry, not healthy, tasty videos uh, about making healthy food. And then they went to the kitchen at school and asked the chefs to look at their video to give them their opinions. Uh, the fourth option, compare with an existing solution. So put the two solutions side by side and make a table of strengths and weaknesses. And then depending on the type of solution you make, the fifth option could be something called performance testing. So you put your product under the stress of uh, the normal conditions it would be under um, to see how effective your product was. I don't know if, if you were designing some kind of um, car and you wanted to test its speed, um, that, that you could use that in a performance testing. So they have the five options to choose from. User observation, user trial, expert appraisal, compare with an existing solution, or performance testing. So I ask the students to choose two of them and describe how they would apply these methods to their particular product. And also, added help, I get them to include the words quantitative, quantitative or qualitative. So then they understand the difference between what kind of data they're going to collect from these tests, whether it's numerical and can be measured and plotted on graphs, or whether it's written and descriptive, or a mixture of them both. So I don't know if that helps, but this is how we um, carry out evaluating uh, part one design testing methods. Okay, keep up the good work. Cheers. Hi, this is Kim from Chadwick International in South Korea. I am really impressed with what Chris had to say. I really liked the breakdown of D1 that he did, in particular the five different tests that he was using uh, with his students. I agree those are common, seem to be best practice, and um, I thought they were well described, so I would definitely um, agree with him. One of the things I would add on to what he said about D1 is that 
uh, I would talk about where I put that in the cycle with the students. One of the things that is important to me is that kids are thinking about the testing before they even start making the product. So back when we're in B1, where they're developing their design specifications, which clearly states the success criteria for the design of a solution, it's at that point in time that I have the kids sit back and think about, okay, so how am I going to test this? How am I going to find out whether or not these design specifications work and whether or not my product meets it? And having that testing in mind allows them to kind of back manufacture how they're going to get to achieve that test. So they're not just creating it in a vacuum, but they're creating it with that future test in mind. Um, so I think that's a pretty critical part of it. Aloha, Jason. This is Sean Connors from Laser Dan Academy in Kailua, Hawaii. I teach uh, MYP1, all of the students at our school, as well as a track of MYP4 and 5 with a focus on information design. Uh, a couple of thoughts that I had on the design cycle. I know that we've lots of people talk about the different testing method choices in Criterion D1 as being expert appraisal, field trial, and performance testing, and so forth. One thing that we really try to stress with our students is that when they when they suggest their potential testing methods, that they really should try and come up with a number of potential testing methods. Um, they might not uh, be able to run them all, uh, collect data on all of them. Uh, some of them might not be as relative as others, or due to time or access to resources, they may not be able to run them effectively, but that they should still at least be able to suggest those potential methods um, and even go through the process of uh, ranking or, or ordering them uh, based on how uh, appropriate they would be uh, based on the situation um, or or how uh, successful the they they how successfully they would um, provide uh, evidence that they could use then to evaluate their products. Focus all the time with sixth graders also on understanding the difference between uh, methods of testing that are objective versus subjective. You know, it's, it's okay if you are the one who's testing out your product when you're an MYP1. Uh, it, most of the products are, are, are made for us at that point. So because we're the client, it's, it's fine for us to, to create our own tests and run our own tests. But when we get into MYP4 and MYP5 especially, we need to make sure that we're doing our best to try and, and create objective tests and we're getting other people to give us feedback. Um, the, the best people to give us feedback are obviously uh, the, the uh, end users of the product. If we can get uh, the people who are going to be using that product in the various situations and we can test it with them, then the feedback that we're getting is, is authentic, it's real, it's specific. Um, so it's a wonderful way to, to make sure that it's going to work in the actual scenarios that we want it to. Um, I also tell students, I know it might sound like a pipe dream to, you know, try and throw out there that you're going to get an expert to appraise it for you. Um, but I've had students who have, who've reached out into, into the community to try and get feedback. I think of a, a unit a few years ago where I had sixth graders designing uh, flags as an intro to graphic design. Um, and those flags would eventually end up on their binders. And we talked about who would be the perfect people in the world to evaluate these flags for how relative they are uh, to us. Sure, our parents. But what about how well they meet the criteria for what a, an effective flag looks like? 
um, we had a couple students reach out to established vexillologists in um, the community who actually got uh, not just thank yous or, or uh, help, but actually got very poignant feedback um, on how successfully the designs would have fit. And, and those students were blown away by the, the fact that professionals in those fields would take the time to give them their expert opinion. So I always say to students, you know, don't, don't, don't not write a test because you don't think you'll be able to uh, perform it. Try it out, uh, write it out, uh, and, and you would be surprised by how successful you might be able to be. Um, I love giving students those opportunities and telling them that story because then they'll dream big and think big about who they can get to give them feedback on their tests. Thanks, guys. That is awesome input. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot by listening to what each of you are doing and what your philosophy on how that should go works. And so I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say about uh, D2. So we're going to listen to Sean uh, first talk about D2. Uh, and then Kim has got um, a combination of D2 and 3. So we'll listen to that. Then we'll hear um, what Sean has to say about Criterion D3. When thinking about Criterion D2 or the product evaluation, I think it's fairly straightforward. Students are using the data that they collected from the, the tests that they ran um, in the testing methodology to analyze the success of uh, their product based on their design specifications. I think we all get that. Um, I think what, what really separates out uh, good data from, from okay data is how authentic that product testing was. Did you get the product into the hands of your client? Did you get the product into the hands of the end user or the target audience to, to really get um, objective feedback from people who are going to be using this product? Um, I think when you can do that, you get really good direct uh, information that's going to help you when it comes time uh, to iterate or to determine how successful your product is. I think uh, one thing that we always try and su suggest that students do, and it's not always obvious, is to make sure that when they're looking at their data, that they look at it with a critical eye and think to themselves, uh, you know, am I, am I fudging this one way or another? Am I um, being biased? You know, one, one problem with running a subjective test is because this is your product and this is your baby. Sometimes we're a little bit more forgiving um, with with what we've created, or we have that background knowledge and that experience of, of the process that we went through to create it. So therefore, we kind of gloss over certain things. This is another reason why I always have um, or suggest to my students that when they do their testing, that they test outside of the immediate class, get some students from other classes or other grade levels, or get people um, who they aren't so familiar with to give them feedback, because then they have to make sure that they're communicating things effectively in such a way that people can get a real true sense of what's happening. Or you get much better feedback when people don't have that background knowledge of the process that you went through because they're not making assumptions. When we look at D2 and D3, that uh, D2 for me is looking at the results of the testing and figuring out whether or not um, the solution met the test requirements and therefore met the, the specifications they outset in B. 
as well as in D3, looking at uh, maybe where their solution didn't perform so well and figuring out um, what kind of modifications, if they were going to go back through this iteration process to what kind of how they would modify this and how they would make it better for the next time around. Obviously, with time constraints uh, and this is a classroom environment, we're not always going to have that opportunity, but it's important to consider if I were going to do this again, where would I take it? And for them to understand that in a product lifecycle, maybe things go to alpha and they get really basic testing. They go to beta and they might get out with a group of users that um, are familiar with the product or the process and are able to give useful feedback and then uh, release candidate versions of things. And this is obviously kind of software language, but it applies and have them understand that this iteration process is something that's very natural to design, that it's expected in design and that given the opportunity, um, they should be hopefully able to go through a couple of cycles as well, um, especially when they are early on in their making stages. They probably, as they go through their early designs, want to check in in Criterion B, check in with their user base, get some feedback, do some redesign. And that's already uh, an early iteration phase that is worth going through for them. When it comes time for us to reflect on how successful our product was and determine what areas it could be improved in, I always suggest that students start off by looking at the data you collected from your testing methods to see if there are areas that you could identify that need to be improved or was there feedback that you got from your uh, target audience, your end users or your client areas where they think that things could be improved, start there. Always start with the objective feedback. Look at that to determine whether or not there could be um, potential things that you could change, fix, improve, modify. I, I love this criterion strand because it really is a jumping off point for students who are sincerely interested in iterating on their product. I I know that in MYP 4 and 5 in our classes, uh, we try to make sure that we schedule in extra time towards the end of each product to ensure students have that, that opportunity to iterate so that it's not just a one and done through the design cycle, so that it's more authentic. And they don't have to iterate on the entire design process, but to really focus on those areas that are going to maximize the improvements that they might have identified in this phase. Um, I know that uh, the MYP guidebook suggests that students could use graphical representations or photos or sketches with annotations. I, I think that's really powerful. My students will uh, go through the process of, of uh, doing some reflection on it. I love when we have video uh, products in the end because I'll have students uh, pretend they're doing a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 on it or a bad lip reading. Um, I'll have them actually go through and make commentary on the video itself. Um, which is an, an alternative way to do it, and it and it really makes it interesting, and it you know for the students. Um, I I, I love to use products like Google Draw because it's a great quick way to be able to pull images in and annotate around them, so that you can easily label and and identify those things that, that could be and should be fixed. I think it's just super incredibly important for students to do this part. Sometimes. Um, students can even look back at Criterion C4, what we call the modification justification, the things that, that they 
that they changed in their design to think back, if I had more time, if I had more resources, if I had more knowledge, um, would there be things that I, I would have even wanted to change or um, that things that I, I did change, but maybe I want to change back? Um, there's a variety of different ways that we can look to this. I also think it's an incredibly important time to stop and look at our design specifications. Maybe we didn't get a chance to test them all, or um, maybe there were some specifications that we didn't meet, or maybe this is even an opportunity for us to think to our specifications and say, man, now that I've gone through this process, these are some of the specifications I really should have added on because it would have guided me through the process of creating a more successful product. Thank you so much, Kim and Sean, for your input there. Um, I'm anxious to hear what your thoughts are on Criterion D4. When it gets to D4, um, I, I send them back to A4 to where they're getting this design brief. And they're looking at the product they're going to be creating. So somewhere between... It depends on how A4 is structured in your particular environment, but uh, between A4 and B1, I ask them to go back and look at you know who their target audience was, what they think they're going to come up with, and and whether or not it had the impact and whether or not it solved that design problem that they were facing at the outset. So for me, that's uh, a pretty critical part of the reflective practice. Thanks so much, Jason. Look forward to hearing Criterion D, and uh, good luck with the show. Finally, moving to Criterion D strand four, looking at the impact of the product. Sometimes it's it's difficult to, to know what the complete impact would be. Uh, we're not omniscient. Uh, we don't always have the benefit of the time. Um, so it's, it's kind of difficult in many ways to get an accurate description of this. And, in, in some cases, I suggest to students that we come back at a later date. Um, maybe uh, we'll, we'll revisit this, you know, a, a week or two or a month or two down the road to see if over time um, we've, we've made changes. And I know sometimes that can be uh, graded or assessed and, and put into our grade books, um, into our reporting software. Sometimes it can't. Um, I know that in this particular criterion strand, they really want you to talk about how this is going to have an impact on the end user or the target audience and how it's going to impact the client. I always say, you know, let's let's look at all the stakeholders across the spectrum. Um, those people sometimes who might be helping us to manufacture it. Um, could we take a look at how the product could affect the market or um, other potential competitors? Um, uh, what about the, the people who are our backers, people who are supporting us in this? Um, I especially ask students to even think about yourself as the designer. What is the potential impact on you? How is this going to help you down the road to create better, more effective products or, or solve similar problems? One of the things that um, I think is interesting is, you know, we look at um, with guidance, some, you know, and without guidance. Sometimes it's hard for students to be able to think outside themselves, outside the box, uh, across time, you know, across distances, across people, how their products are going to affect the community at whole. I, I think when it really comes down to it, sometimes you, you have to give students the latitude to be able to make some potential suggestions as to how they would think or hope it could. I know it might be conjecture. I know it's not exactly 
what uh, the, the, the criterion uh, descriptors uh, suggest. But I think for this particular case, it's okay for students to reflect outside of them to say, this is how you hope it would be, or, or this is an effect, or this might be even potentially be um, subsequential, uh, sequential, uh, subsequent um, you know, effects of the potential product. Um, you know, I think that, that it's okay for students to go ahead and think out that way in hopes that they might have a better understanding of, of what the potential solution or product may be able to do for the community and for all the stakeholders involved. Guys, thank you so much for your thoughts on all sections of D. I want to give a special thank you to Chris, Sean, and Kim for your time. I really appreciate you being so thoughtful and deliberate about uh, your responses. I do want to hear from all of you. So you can email me at mr.mr.reagin at gmail.com or you can call my Google voicemail box at plus one six seven eight eight seven zero six six seven six. I will not answer it. It goes directly to voicemail. It's all digital, and I'm really anxious to hear from you. If you'd like to leave me a message about future podcasts, uh, there's lots of different ways you can do that. I've been using Voxer, and my ID for Voxer is W-J-R-E-A-G-I-N, and you can leave me a sort of walkie-talkie style message. You can also follow me on Twitter at D-I-S-K. O-N, the number four, N-O, Disco Inferno. <laughs> also, most recently, I've been using Synth, and that's at G-O-S-Y-N-T-H dot com. And I really like what is there for that, and maybe we can talk about on that on a future episode. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I really want to hear what your thoughts are on this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, please let me know about anything NYP design related. That's what we're going to start talking about next is you know, topics for projects and, and how you internally standardize and all those exciting, exciting things that will put you to sleep. But anyway, as always, I'd like to thank the lovely Mariana McMahon once again for her excellent intro. And I look forward to hearing from you all really soon. Thanks so much, guys.